Hi, welcome to thegunblog.ca. My name is Nicholas Johnson and my guest today is Wes Winkle. He's the president of the Canadian Sporting Arms and Ammunition Association, CSAAA, as well as the owner of Elwood Epps Sporting Goods in Aurelia, Ontario. Hi, Wes. Thanks for joining me today. Good morning, Nicholas. How are you? Really good. And I'm really happy to have you here. You, I love the, you know, you, you people who have watched uh, our, our interactions, our conversations before know that you have this, you run Elwood Epps, which is one of Canada's largest independent gun stores, maybe even one of the, the biggest, in, um, biggest gun stores, period. So you have that inside in, in, info of in the field. And you have, as president of the CSAAA, you have this overall view from being in contact with the firearm industry across Canada and, and kind of getting that, that macro view. So really, I uh, always love your perspective. Let's talk about what's happening in the markets. Now, we're recording this on September 11th of 2023. What are you hearing from your members uh, about the market these days? Well, we're hearing that, uh, you know, in different, you know, there's all different categories inside of our industry, but uh, on the firearms category that, uh, you know, inventory is, is at a high rate right now. Uh, uh, firearms are available at, at, at a fairly large rate um, at the manufacturing, wholesale and retail uh, sectors. Um, you know, with the exception probably of lever action rifles, there's still a shortage in that from companies like Henry and Browning and Winchester. There's still a large demand on lever actions and the supply is still fairly low there. But otherwise, the supply is quite high. So it's a great time to be a, a firearms consumer as far as availability goes. Um, with the downside, of course, is that um, the inflationary measures of Canada have affected all uh, sectors of our economy, but especially on the firearm side, uh, the prices are a little higher than where they have been, and that's unfortunate, uh, but the supply is high. Interesting. I'm just going to put on screen a chart that I follow. It's the, it's the from StatsCan. The data is from StatsCan. The chart is by me. These are guns imported each day on average. So the average daily number of firearms imported. And the last data point on the right end there, that's the July, that's January to July of this year. StatsCan just released those numbers last week imports i follow imports they're they're, they're an incomplete indicator they're a backwards looking indicator because as, as you educated me imports take uh three six nine months from the time you make an order until the time they are they, they come in and so there's some a huge lag in terms of what this number tells us but i'm seeing in terms of the the average daily gun imports were pretty high. So we're much closer to the top of a cycle, if there is a cycle, than to the bottom. So that that kind of ratifies what you're saying, that there's there's a high supply. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Uh, you know, we tend to, in Canada, not always be the vendor's first choice of, uh, of consumers as far as when it comes to manufacturing and wholesale distribution, just because we have a high regulatory environment. Um, so now that uh, there's been a bit of a downturn in the U.S. Uh, retail and wholesale sector, uh, firearms availability is higher at the manufacturing level. So therefore, we've been able to bring firearms in at a fairly high rate into Canada. Um, you know, it, it, it does help with our availability when the U.S. has a slowdown. Um, you know, there's been a little bit more um, stability in the market down there. Plus, you got the fact that there is, uh, you know, the best way to say it is, uh, again, the higher retail prices have caused a bit of a retail slowdown there. So we just have a, a, a more access to inventory than what we have a, in the past. 
Interesting. Okay. And, and there's, I'm just going to put this up too. If, if for anybody who wants to know more, I, what, why imports matter and what, what they tell and what they don't tell, I just put the, uh, the website up there. You can go to thegunblog.ca slash reference for more information on that. And I wanted to pick up on something you said w- that um, the lever, I thought that was really interesting about the lever actions being in high demand. And my assumption is people are still, I've just heard this over the past two, three years, people are still looking for guns that are unlikely to be prohibited by the by the liberals is that still no the case? question you know there's a uh people are like to have fun shooting and you know obviously uh uh you, you know repeating firearms are more fun to, to to have and to plink with uh than than those that uh you know are single shot or or manual operation like a bolt action um there's still a spook of semi-automatic firearms in Canada because of the fact that a lot of people are sitting at home looking at one or two firearms that they've purchased that they really enjoy that they're no longer allowed to use because of the prohibition. Um, so yeah, you see lever actions being the new trend for sure. And just, uh, you know, there's still a lot of romance to the lever action in, in our industry as a whole, as far as, you know, the wild west and there's, you know, a fairly large uptick in, and just a rural country living as a whole. And then that, that tends to go to the lever action firearms. Uh, plus uh, there's been a, you know, a real shortage of ammunition availability over the last few years. And the lever action cartridges tend to be some of the more available cartridges out there as well. Interesting. And what else is, uh, what else is hot these days? Um, we're still seeing a fairly large uptick in, um, in uh, firearms that for uh, retail, uh, from rimfire, uh, rimfire, because I think, again, the cost of shooting has gone up and people have gravitated more towards rimfire. Uh, plus, we're seeing a little bit of an older demographic in the shooting industry. And, you know, the rimfire is quieter. There's less recoil. Uh, it tends to be a, a popular thing right now. So rimfire is still quite hot, especially in the target fields. Um, we're seeing still uh, a lot of guys uh, gravitating and gals gravitating towards pistol caliber carbines. Um, you know, the, again, for inexpensive shooting and uh and uh, the availability of ammunition. So those are probably the three largest trends that we're seeing is uh, lever action first, uh, rimfire second, and pistol caliber carbines third. That's that's so interesting, and I feel like a cliche because I'm I'm fitting. I'm like such so average. I'm the guy you just described. I went you know just the other day shot my 308 old World War II uh, 308. Ah, oh, sore shoulder. I go to my single shot 22. It's just it's just a. One is fun, the other is not. <laughs> well, this is it. You know, it's it's one of the things that, uh, you know, if you combine the fact that there's a, a bit more recoil, a bit more noise, and uh, but also the fact that now the cost of ammunition has gone up, all three of those factors, I think, are driving uh, more people into rimfire shooting, yes. Really interesting. And would you say when you, either from, from your store or from what you're hearing from members across the country, is there any way to gauge, are we at a, like um in terms of the outlook, are we are we looking forward? Are we in good shape? Is it, are you expecting a slowdown in the in the months ahead? What's what's the what's your sense of the of where things are headed? Well, I mean, there's, there's no question. Industry wide, we've come through a bit of a tough summer. We had some slowdowns. Uh, uh, you know, we there's been so much volatility in the market. Uh, last summer, we were seeing record handgun sales, of course, because of the uh, Trudeau Liberals uh, uh, pro- prohibiting the sale of handguns. We saw record sales on the handguns. And, you know, a lot of, I think, our market and our consumers uh, overspent their budget uh, last summer trying to get their handguns in place. And, you know, we've had that trend for the last couple of years with a lot of volatility. 
plus the shortage of ammunition, I think, has put a lot of people, you know, in a mode where they've been filling their basements or filling their ammunition closets with ammo, just trying to make sure they have the supply they need. So all of a sudden now, when we're seeing a little bit more availability and uh, a bit of a calm down, people have kind of put their wallets away a little bit. And I think that's understandable, uh, you know, uh, when you're in a, in a budget or family situation and, and you're talking about your expenditures, all of a sudden it might be harder to justify those uh, expenses in the shooting sports when so much has been put towards it the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'm just bringing to mind now, so we were, we're doing this in September 23, uh, 2023, and I'm just remembering, okay, we had uh, early 2000s, we had COVID and then the, the gun market went crazy, cra- just a shot, incredible shopping spree in 2020. Then we also had the, the firearm confiscation orders of May 1st, 2020, when people were, that created a whole other series of turbulence. And, and now we have the, the economy really slowing down. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's, for any industry, and I guess especially or including guns, it's been a bumpy, bumpy three years. Yeah, by far the most volatile uh, three years that I've ever been a part of. Uh, I've been here now a little over 25 years, and I've never seen anything like it. Like it's it's a yo-yo. You, it's very hard to predict. It's very hard for buyers in our market to predict, uh, you know, uh, where things are going to go. But uh, yeah, we do. We are expecting some leaner times here for the next short order, especially because of. Uh, yeah, just the fact that uh, exactly those factors we talked about, that people have kind of overstretched their bounds and, and things are expensive and the cost of living is very high right now. Uh, you know, uh, we talk to obviously other parts of our recreational industry quite a bit, uh, whether it be boating or ATVs or snowmobiles, and all of those are trending downwards. It's just harder to spend money on toys when, when you got to feed yourself. It's, it's that simple, right? And it's also that's for, again. I'd love to have your your feedback if this if my analysis is valid. That in in COVID, people are think it's scare basically a, a a scare purchase. People are scared. They're arming up to defend themselves, their families in case of economic collapse or zombie. You know the the virus infected zombies. Like there's that kind of mentality. And now we're seeing it's it's also now back to the traditional sporting and hunting and more. That's discretionary spending. So one is seen as survival spending, and one is kind of discretionary spending. Is that is that thinking valid? Absolutely. I mean, the, the sales that we saw at the start of the COVID situation uh, were definitely, uh, you know, a high sales in in um, shotguns, defense style shotguns, uh, a lot of buckshot and and uh, tactical buckshot was being sold and stuff like that. Uh, um, you know, whenever people go to the grocery stores and they see empty shelves. Uh, whether, you know, and that was a trend that happened at the start of COVID where people were stocking up on stuff. Um, naturally, as, as you know, a lot of uh, adults get fear for their families and they, you know, do they have to feed their families or defend their, their stuff? And, you know, it's it's one of those things uh, when it comes right down to we all want to take care of our families first. And one of the things that people looked to was uh, their firearms closet, making sure they had that what they they deem they needed to to make that defense possible or maybe have to harvest uh, a food in the future uh, you know and then as things calm down yeah all of a sudden uh that that spending doesn't seem as important okay it's really it's so interesting it's it's so for me it's so easy to forget where we've come from just in the very very recent uh, past few years now yeah. now i wanted also just to zoom out here i should have perhaps asked you that at the beginning the cs triple a what is cs triple a what is your your um, your role in the firearm ecosystem? Yeah, so uh, the CSAAA is a little different than the consumer groups. You know, we have uh, uh, the large consumer uh, lobby groups, and then we have our industry group, which is the CSAAA. We don't have uh, members that are not uh, inside the firearms industry. 
So we uh, we are elected uh, and volunteer board of directors. Uh, there's no paid uh, directors on our board. Uh, everyone that is volunteering their time. They're all from the industry, uh, from across Canada. It's a national uh, organization. And we represent the manufacturers and wholesalers and retailers in our industry, as well as, you know, the sales reps and the guides and, and basically the overall shooting sports industries. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes uh, the industry has... Uh, challenges that are much different and much more future looking than sometimes the, the consumer groups. And, and, you know, it's a very uh, different uh, environment as far as the way sometimes our members think and, and where, where we have to go with, with, uh, with our decisions in life. Um, you know, so therefore the, the CSAAA is a, is a very important component of the firearms lobby industry. Uh, we tend to, uh, be uh, less politically affiliated uh, than than some of the consumer groups, and more in a um, in a lobby situation with whoever's in power at the time. Uh, we have to uh, create a regulatory environment where we're able to conduct business. Um, you know, uh, the laws of the land are very frustrating to all of us, and but when you work inside the industry every day and you have to com- uh, deal with the regulatory environment that exists. You have to have a little bit more of a working relationships. Uh, you know, we are in regular contact with the chief firearms offices of our provinces, uh, with the business inspectors, with the obviously the RCMP and the federal regulatory environment, as well as uh, sometimes the, the the minister of public safety. Got it. So you bring a, I'm just you bring an industry perspective. Your your members are mostly like like to put it in like gun shops, the the gun importers representatives of the firearm manufacturers. So for example, I don't know, I'm just going to pick a brand, a Glock, Remington, um, that, I mean, so manufacturers like that, as well as the the distributors. So the names that are not known by consumers, uh, I'm, again, I'm not, you don't need to reveal the membership, but the, the no. types of people like North Silva or Big Rock or Wolverine, those types of, that type of distributor, people who distribute the guns from the factory to the consumer or to, to, the, to, the, short, to the store. Absolutely. Uh, you know, okay. you have basically those three steps, the manufacturers, which uh, for the most part are foreign, uh, you know, they're, they're not Canadian, uh, they're either American or European. Uh, and then you have representatives of those manufacturers uh, that, that kind of liaison between the importers and the wholesalers. Uh, so, that you know, that's kind of the way the, the structure goes is manufacturers and those representatives. And then you have the uh, importers and distributors. And then most of those uh, firearms then get from there, they trickle to the retailers. And that is where most of the consumers see them is at the retail facing side. That's it. And it's, it's just, I love that, you know, over the years, you've shared incredible stories of, of this industry that doesn't get a lot of coverage in the media. So most even like even people who've been gun owners for a long, 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 long time for years or decades don't actually know much about how the industry works. It's it's a, it's a fa- I find it fascinating. It's quite true. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, we having that perspective on it, sometimes it's, it's uh, uh, quite interesting that there's a lack of knowledge kind of on the way that the chain goes, uh, you know, and a lot of those uh, importers also importing uh, for law enforcement and military as well. Right. So you have a, a, a very interesting relationship with, with a lot of those uh, wholesalers and importers where they're uh, uh, frustrated because of the retail and, regulatory environment for consumers, but they also have to engage in, you know, a lot of uh, government situations because they're, they're supplying the police and military with uh, the products required, uh, you know, to, to, for law enforcement or for military purposes in Canada. 
It's very, very interesting. And that just to, to illustrate that, when I look at the gun data, I'm seeing why, why are handgun imports, why are there still handgun imports, even though handgun imports have officially been prohibited? Well, that's because when I look at where it's coming from, well, it's coming from New Hampshire. Well, what's happening? Well, the Canadian military is getting its, I'm, I'm assuming, this is not in the data, this is just me assuming. Well, that's um, uh, Sig Sauer has a factory, has its main factory in New Hampshire, and it's supplying the Canadian military. So that's what those handguns of several thousand a month that these recently, that's, I'm assuming that's, uh, that's what it must be. So uh, absolutely, it is, uh, you know, with, with, uh, again, uh, a very frustrating situation with handguns and a, a devastating impact to the industry. Uh, you know, uh, you hear so much in the in the news and in the media about uh, you know uh, the hunting gun ban as they called it when with the C twenty one and and uh, you know uh, a lot of people coming to the defense of it in the industry uh, uh, hunting of of course is a very uh, large component of our industry but can you know having serviced the shooting market for many years it's a smaller component uh, you know most hunters will buy one or two firearms every you know decade or so they might buy uh, uh five or six uh, boxes of ammunition per year to use in the field um whereas uh you know when it comes to the handgun shooting sports these this is a a much more of a culture where people are using these items uh, weekly uh you know they might be going to the range once or twice a week they they shoot a high volume of ammunition they're very in tune with their sport where they're trading their firearms in and out uh they're buying accessories for them so with losing the, the handgun sales demographic, I, I would admit even myself, I've been shocked at, at how it affects the overall sales in general for our, for our members. Um, you know, you see in decreases in every category from reloading components uh, to ammunition sales, uh, holsters, magazines, every one of those uh, um, uh, fields are down in the industry because we've lost the sale of handguns. Uh, even though handguns are still allowed to be used at the range and still are being used at a high rate, once the consumer has the firearm and the accessories that they need, they tend not to buy many unless they wear it out or break it. Whereas when you're trading handguns and you're buying and selling and you upgrade a handgun, now when you get that new handgun, whether it be new or used in your possession, now you get the accessories that you want for that handgun, whether it be the a, a magazine holder that fits your belt or a holster that fits your belt, um, you know, to new reloading dies or, or whatever it takes. So obviously uh, with losing the handgun sales, it's been a, a dramatic uh, decrease in sales across the country and had a devastating effect. Uh, it's been hard to watch. And I'm even just thinking of myself since COVID and then the prohibitions and that's fewer for, for just for me personally, I don't, you know, I'm at fewer trips to the gun store and you know, that just so, yeah, less, less. I've my budget the past three years has been a lot less than the previous than the previous few years. So. Absolutely, and you know it's it's amazing uh, from being in the store. We of course we have a we just, we sell a high volume of used guns and do a lot of trading back and forth with our consumers. And it's amazing how many consumers uh, still are unaware that you're not allowed to sell handguns. Uh, we get called to sell collections all the time, and and when you explain it to people, they 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 have a real lack of understanding that that the items they had in their home that had a tremendous value last summer uh, have basically been uh, been robbed of their value by the Canadian government. And our only option as as uh, retailers is to buy and sell those outside of Canada. And, uh, you know, the, the regulatory environment, uh, both in Canada and the United States, makes it very difficult to export those firearms and very expensive to do so. Uh, 
you know, it's and a lot of firearms that we have in Canada aren't as uh, largely desired in other countries because it's special longer barrels made for them and stuff, and and they're just not as desirable in other countries. So it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a tough situation on the handgun side. Uh, we're all very frustrated by it. Uh, we're in the you know, as an industry, we're advising the federal government all the time of the hardships this is creating, and and we're fighting to try to get some kind of uh, an acknowledgement from them that that it's having a devastating effect. But uh, again, so far it's fallen on deaf ears. It, it's um, and, and yeah, and anybody who wants to to learn more about, we're not going to go deep into the, 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 how we got here and all that, but yeah, subscribe to the gunblog.ca, subscribe to CSAAA. Uh, I've really, I share your updates and I love the updates that you, you share about your meetings and your, and your, uh, yeah, what's going on for the industry. And one of the things just to transition to that, my segue to the legends program, I just, uh, just, you know, learned that you have this, um, legends you you want to recognize and celebrate the the legends of the firearm industry could you uh could you say where things are with that now absolutely yeah so we have a situation where we have obviously a very long-standing uh industry association and 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 a very vast firearms industry in canada been around for a number of years and there's been basically no mechanism to recognize people that have have given a lot of their adult life up to uh, promoting the the industry and the shooting sports in general, as well as volunteering their time to uh, to defend the interests of the industry. Uh, so, um, you know, we kind of had a discussion of of maybe it's time that some of these individuals get honored. And uh, you know, there's not there's no better organization to do it than the industry itself. So, yeah, we have uh, put together a a criteria and uh, you know, kind of a mechanism to honor these people. Uh, you know, really putting um, a lot of weight on uh, longevity and volunteering the time, uh, you know, when it comes to the points and how they get assessed, uh, whether they qualify for our legends program, uh, it, it comes down to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the leadership in the industry as far as uh, on the business side, but also on the volunteering side. And uh, yeah, we've, we're very proud to bring the legends program together and to honor these individuals uh, that, uh, you know, a lot of us sit here and are able to participate in this industry because people gave so much time in the, in the past. So uh, we're very proud to do that. We're going to have our, our first dinner in Ontario, but with plans to have uh, Legends honorary dinners across the country and to acknowledge the, um, the participation of, of uh, these legends of our industry uh, for many years. Um, and it's something that we're very proud to put forward, yes. Very, uh, very, very good. And the I saw you just announced, I believe, the first three. The first three are they? I'm not sure what the winners or the first three people you want yeah. to honor. Yeah, the, the honorees. Uh, uh, we have uh, John Mock, uh, who's uh, unfortunately deceased, uh, but uh, John was a long-standing uh, president and, and CEO of Stoker Canada. Um, he also was the president of the CSAAA for many years. Uh, volunteered his time in, in many different wildlife organizations was always a tremendous supporter of youth initiatives, youth, youth hunting and shooting initiatives. Uh, just an incredible individual has spent a lot of time uh, uh, helping out the industry. And um, like I said, we miss him every day. Unfortunately, he's gone, but uh, it's still a wonderful thing to honor him and his accomplishments and for his family to share in that and his friends and his associates. Um, and then we have Steve Cuppy, uh, who has been uh, a little more behind the scenes, uh, more on the wholesale side where he was uh, the president and, and operator of Greywood Sales, 
which basically represented the interests of, of many, many companies over the years. Uh, you know, uh, many companies, but mostly uh, with Winchester Ammunition and uh, Browning Firearms, but, uh, you know, countless organizations over the years, Garmin, etc. And uh, Mr. Cuppy, uh, again, uh, volunteered his time, has been a promoter of the industry, uh, has donated a great deal of, of financial resources to to uh, promoting shooting sports and to uh, get facilities up and running. Um, you know, he's uh, been a tremendous uh, uh, contributor for a long time, and we're happy to honor him. And uh, uh, and the last one, of course, is uh, is Kathy Trowbridge uh, from Excalibur. Um, her and her husband uh, started Excalibur crossbows. Uh, they've been a manufacturer in Canada, one of the most uh, largely recognized uh, crossbow manufacturers in the world, uh, really put us on the world stage in, in that category. And uh, uh, Kath has, uh, again, donated her time. She was a director and president of CSAAA. She was a director for many, many years, uh, a large financial contributor, uh, making sure that uh, trade shows and that were, were properly sponsored. Um, she donated a lot of her time and money and uh, was always there for to lend a helping hand for any initiative we had going forward uh just a long time server of the community and she is now retired and uh but we're happy to honor her uh, for all of her dedication and support i think that's really beautiful and i as i as i get older i i also find it really touched by that because these names are not names that i'm familiar with they're they're not names that i think like the like you said the, the quote unquote the retail uh, associations we know we a lot of people know their directors and their staff but we don't know the, the the gun community the the buyers the people who you know the retail level we don't know a lot of these names so it's it's wonderful yeah. to hear that them being honored and that's it i mean it, it's it's one of those things that uh, the truth is is that uh, you can get up every morning go to work and 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 do your job and be financially successful if you uh, run a good business but uh, to, to add that extra time and effort to make sure that you donate your time and, and try to defend the, uh, the, the industry as, as a whole, as well as to promote the shooting sports, is something that, that really is not a requirement. And because it's at the wholesale level, a lot of retailers or consumers aren't aware of, of that work. And that's why I think it's really important that we have this Legends program to kind of educate the consumers as well as that uh, a lot of these uh, individuals and companies are are the reason that we're still able to participate to, to this day um you know without their contribute contributions i'm not sure we still exist wow okay well that's so uh, again i didn't know these uh, these um these individuals but i yeah if, if, that sounds like they made a huge huge contribution contribution so I'm really happy that they're being honored and recognized Absolutely. The, the other thing that happened, and I, want, I don't want to go into the, the weeds on this, but the other big thing that happened this spring was around the confiscation and the, the government, the Liberals announced that you were you know, signed a contract with you and and people, you, there was a lot of blowback against the CSAAA. People viewed some you know, nasty language around how could you be in cahoots with the government and how could you be advancing the confiscation? And that caused, a, I know there was a lot of misunderstanding. I was on the town hall that that you that you ran and and to clear the air and explain behind the scenes what happened without getting into the, you know, the, the nitty gritty. But could you say where things are now with that uh, at the moment? Well, obviously, uh, yeah, whenever uh, any decision is made uh, by any organization, uh, the, you never have 100 percent consensus on anything. Uh, it's just it's the nature of, of, of the way it is. And 
you know, a long time ago when this, uh, when the prohibition happened and then the government announced, uh, like you said, the confiscation program, they like to call it a buyback, but the confiscation program is a much better terminology. Uh, the industry's in a real uh, rock and a hard place situation where we have a lot of these firearms registered to our businesses. Uh, uh, an extremely large amount of inventory is still tied up. Um, you know, these businesses have to have these on their logs and they have to be inspected regularly. Uh, they have to be insured still. Uh, you know, uh, the, the insurance costs of a lot of these high value items are very expensive. You know, we have members that are still just to just to ensure their prohibited inventory are paying upwards of thirty to forty thousand dollars a year just to ensure that. So when you're getting into three years, you know, you're already talking about before you tie up the costs of of your money being tied up and the warehousing costs, just the insurance alone, some of them have spent over a hundred thousand dollars to ensure this inventory. So and just to be clear, that's that's the that's the prohibited inventory or that's, that's the overall inventory. Inventory. Yeah. You know, when that's you have uh, over a million dollars that inventory and you do the math uh, on the insurance aspect, uh, it's extremely expensive and and you have to insure it because it's it still is a, a, a part of your inventory assets as far as the the banks and the balance books are concerned. So uh, yeah, it, it's a very difficult situation for us. Uh, obviously, we fought and are still continuing to fight and have supported a lot of the consumer groups' initiatives to to battle this. And we're and of course we're hoping politically there will be a change in, in this initiative. But the reality of where we sit today is also in front of us, which is that the that the that the law of the land is in place, and these firearms are prohibited and they're only covered right now under an amnesty, which probably will be extended again. Uh, but at some point, we'll come to an end, and the government, whether uh, we participate or not, is going to initiate a, a, a confiscation program. And in the past, uh, our association, as well as others, has has declined to participate in any way, shape, or form, or discuss the situation. And sometimes that's come with regrets, uh, because all of a sudden you have people that have no knowledge of the industry. Uh, uh, running programs and making programs that there's no way for the industry to participate in properly. Uh, so the, the, when the, we were approached, uh, and we've always been asked to be consulted on firearms issues, and we get so upset and publicly upset when the industry is not consulted. And then in a situation where you are consulted, if you say, no, we're not going to discuss this, then it's very difficult to ask for consultation in the future. So it makes it, uh, like I said, a real rock and a hard place situation. So as an industry, we voted and we held our nose to uh, to discuss the initiative and to um, uh, enter into a negotiation with the government as to the value of this inventory and how to calculate that out and how to run this program. Uh, and to be honest, we've been fighting for the businesses for the last uh, almost two years to, for a, a program that we can work with, and that is an actual compensation for the inventory we've lost. Not just the firearms, but the accessories and the uh, parts that are around them. I mean, a lot of these firearms are very modular and there's so many accessories and parts that are tied up in inventory that we also obviously wanted to make sure that those were properly compensated for as well. So uh, that's the reason that the, that, that, that the discussion was entertained. Um, we had a, uh, a unanimous vote amongst the board of directors to put it uh, through and to, and to continue on. Uh, and then we had obviously a majority vote uh, with our membership and uh, not all members were happy. We still have some that were quite upset. They, you know, they don't think we should have any conversations with the federal government on this topic. And 
Uh, and it's uh, understandable that I don't think anybody in this country is more upset at the situation than I am. I'm uh, watching it and, and donating as much time as we have to it as, uh, you know, has caused many sleepless nights. But at the same time, there is a reality that we have to live with. Uh, and, and that is where we're at. So, um, you know, we've, we've, uh, we had a lot of consumer blowback and uh, a lot of negativity towards it. Uh, you know, and as the leader of the organization, I took the brunt of it and, and, and I knew that was going to come. Uh, it was not a surprise to me. Um, it's, it's a situation that I, you know, when you sign up for leadership of anything that is going to come with some grief, it's just that simple. Um, but I, I, I understand where everyone's from and I'd be happy to discuss it with anything, but I think a lot of the grief come from a lack of understanding of the situation and what we're doing. Um, you know, we certainly are not partnering with the, the federal government to confiscate any individual firearms. That is not the situation at all. We're just trying to make sure that our, that the business inventory uh, gets dealt with in a appropriate and professional manner that we're able to live with. And, you know, if you look at our mandate and what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to represent our industry uh, and uh, and lobby the government to, to for a good regulatory environment. And that's what we're doing, um, you know. It's easy to uh, always uh, operate in the echo chamber and the rah 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 of we hate what's happening, and that's and trust me, I do hate what's happening. But at the same time, uh, what we're elected for is to uh, represent our members and make sure that our members have the best possible business environment. And uh, when it comes to uh, eventually losing the inventory that's registered to our business. Uh, we wanted to make sure that our businesses were properly compensated in a program that works. And uh, I don't think anyone that uh, would be in our shoes would would not understand that situation. And I'm, I'm still, again, as an outsider, I'm not a member of CSAAA, but it just the way I I imagine it, and same thing with, with um, people who answer surveys or, or, or go to the consultations when the minister is in town and want to go to the consultation. I understand the, we want a seat at the table, and from where I sit, it's like, well, why would you want to be at that table? Now, when, with what you've just explained, what you explained also in the spring when you were when we're going through this is, oh, just, yeah, there you are. Okay. Yeah. The, my, my question is, why would you want to, that's not like, that's not a table you want to seat at. That's not a table you want to be seen to be seated at. But I don't, I'm not standing to lose 30,000 bucks a year uh, holding inventory. I'm not standing to lose my business over this. So it's a very different perspective. Like I have the, I have the luxury of theory, you and your guys and your members are dealing with the reality. Well, yeah. And, and the reality is, is that the current federal government's in place, uh, you know, by our, uh, by our system until the fall of 2025, unless of course it falls before that, uh, does that, you know, give them time to get any type of, uh, of program going with or without the participation of the industry? The, the, the answer is yes. I mean, uh, they have par partners like IBM and the RCMP who are more than capable of structuring a, a program. And it was going to happen with or without us. And th th there's no question about that. Uh, it is the legislation of the land. And so now the question is, is do you want to be a part and to have a say in what happens? Or do you want to be a passenger and then get dictated at the end of what you're going to the reality of what you're going to see. And uh, again, if you're demanding consultation on firearms policy and uh, the regulatory environment, then when people ask for your consultation, how do you say no 
uh, and make the same demands. Uh, you know, uh, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, it, so, you know, we had a, a real difficult time with it uh, and we still do. I mean, uh, uh, every conversation uh, we have with them feels adversarial. It's, it's a very difficult situation. Um, uh, there's a real lack of understanding uh, from the government side of of how involved this is and how complicated it is. Um, but the reality is, is that if if the consumer at home wants a North Silver or Elwoodaps or anybody to import firearms and ammunition for them in the future, they must have a valid firearms license in the in the country of Canada to import. And if you're in possession of inventory that's not covered by an amnesty anymore and your business license is invalidated, we can't service the consumer anymore. Uh, so, you know, we, we have no ability to say uh, we're not turning these in. We don't have the ability to hide the inventory because it's registered to us. So there really is no other option other than to participate. And whether you get dictated on how that program works or whether you participate in it, it seemed like a more um, proper answer was to, to hold your nose and participate than to uh, thumb your nose back at the situation. And the more you explain, the the worse the taste in my mouth gets. Because yeah, there's not only the financial liability, there's the criminal liability and your livelihood. Like you, what you said, you could they they have the power. If you don't play, if you don't play by the way they like, they can revoke your license, show up, and you're holding yeah unlawful inventory. You're like there's a huge for for you. There's huge huge stakes. Like it's 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 just. Blech. Oh, that's it. Just the, you know, the application of an import license is impossible without the, those valid licenses. And, you know, we just can't participate without, and with the, you, you can't risk the invalidation of your business license. It's, it's, we've seen it happen to, to our businesses in the past for very small uh, uh, violations of, of law or, uh, you know, unknowingly violating laws. And uh, we are educating our, our business members all the time on the, on the perils of that. And this is another situation where, you know, uh, politically, this should never have happened. Uh, you know, I believe public safety wise, it should never have happened. And I still very vehemently am opposed to it. But the reality is, is that it happened. And there was a lot of turmoil within the board. You, you about a handful of, of board members resigned around this issue. And yeah, you had I mean, the, the AGM in June. And so the, the board is full. Yeah. Where do, in terms of organizationally, operationally, um, yeah, how are we're, things? we're still full steam ahead. Uh, we had we did have some uh, uh, executive members that uh, that the volunteer that uh, resigned, and you know they made some public statements about it. And and for any of those that are interested, I encourage them to read them because they made it very clear that again they supported the industry association and they did admit to voting for the venture. Um, uh, they just were unable to uh, risk the the potential liability of their business in in this day and age to consumer uh pushback um so that that was you know they made very public statements about that uh those board members uh i still talk to on a regular basis um they're great people um they just felt the heat and uh, they got a great deal of heat from their employers and their business partners that uh for a volunteer position this might not be worth the amount of heat you're getting and uh completely understand it i mean uh, and at the end of the day uh, uh a paycheck's a paycheck and if you're risking that paycheck uh, by volunteering somewhere maybe that wasn't the right choice 
On the other hand, uh, we've had some wonderful uh, uh, new life uh, uh, into the board because of it. At our AGM, we elected new uh, new boards of directors. Uh, we had lots of uh, interest in that in those positions. Um, a lot of uh, our membership, like I said, they voted for this. We had over 75% support in, in, in pursuing it. So uh, again, when we uh, when we had to get, elect a new board, there was uh, lots of interest in it. Uh, we have filled the board back up. Uh, we have a very invigorated board uh, with great meetings and uh, lots of initiatives on the go. Um, you know, including the legends and and uh, gunsmithing programs and and many things that the consumer doesn't see. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, a very cohesive board that is uh, is you know. Uh, doing great things for our industry, so uh, still very proud to be part of it. That's uh, that's so good to hear because because the the um, I want to end on a positive note, but just to situate the landscape right now as we're speaking, we've got the Liberals have pro- has outlined that they want to do more confiscations, more prohibitions around firearms, uh, criminal and things around storage, around ammunition, around mags. Like there's a, a new wave, several more waves of prohibitions, restrictions, confiscations that they're planning. We have the federal court legal challenges we're expecting a decision any day any minute on that we have uh, the, the economic uncertainty so a lot of it's kind of a grim outlook um it, on regulatory industry economics uh, all that kind of stuff i'd like to end on something positive what is something positive that we can look forward to as an as a, as an industry as a community well take us uh, in the, you know in the in the coming months coming years coming decades what is positive for the canadian gun community well, I think the, the the positive that we have is is that um, we still have uh, a very large uh, proportion of our population that participates in in shooting sports and hunting in Canada, and uh, you know we've never had a higher rate of PL license holders. We've never had a higher rate of gun range memberships. I mean, almost all of our gun ranges in Canada are still on waiting lists. I mean, there's an extreme demand still for for places to shoot and and for the opportunity to participate in the shooting sports. Um, you know, uh, we have a situation where we have some huge growth in some sports. Uh, you know, rimfire PRS is a is a a large growth. Uh, we're seeing that. We're seeing a large uptick in uh, in the ladies uh, joining the shooting sports. Uh, you know, uh, female gun ownership is at an all time rate, high rate in Canada. Uh, so we have lots of still growth inside the industry. Uh, we do have, you know, obviously some some setbacks and and some uh, reductions and some frustrating situations, and we've you know, unfortunately lost some members inside the business of the community. But uh, going forward, the, the the positive outlook is that we're still allowed to do this, uh, you know, and that uh, participation is still very high. And uh, on the other side, on the hunting side, we still have a situation where. Um, you know, the game opportunities in Canada in a lot of situations are better than they've ever been. So, uh, you know, there is stuff to be positive about for sure. Uh, we have to march forward and, uh, and you know, I encourage everyone to get a friend or, or a child or a lady in their life uh, and participate in our shooting sports, uh, introduce them to it. You know, we have to keep our youth invigorated and, and, and keep the industry going. Uh, it's something that I, I have introduced my children, a lot of their friends too very proud of that and i I recommend every uh every member do that and and to get uh let yeah let's keep marching forward uh and not let uh at any time this industry fall apart in canada beautiful i love i'd love to close on that is there anything to add uh, or that we anything to go over review or, or amend that from our conversation um no just that uh you know uh uh 
get out, support your local gun shop, uh, you know, um, uh, have conversations with them. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, make sure that you have the supplies you need. Uh, we're in a situation with uh, transportation costs uh, continuing to increase. I don't anticipate a lot of these costs to go down. So the best time to pick up the new item that you need is now. Uh, so participate and uh, support your local gun shop. Beautiful. Uh, I encourage everyone who wants to know more about CSAAA to visit the website, csaaa.org, org, and subscribe to the, there's a free newsletter that, that they offer to keep the public informed. I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you to subscribe to my website, thegunblog.ca. And uh, Wes Winkle, president of the Canadian Shooting, uh, Canadian Sporting Arms and Ammunition Association. Really, thank you for, for talking with me today. And to everyone who watched, thank you for watching.